Why did Jesus come? Christians have always understood that the one God somehow exists as three, what are called by theologians persons, not three personalities, not three forms, not three distinct beings, but three persons in one distinct Godhead, the triune God, taken as a whole from Genesis to the book of Revelation. This is what the scriptures teach. It's a mystery. No one fully understands it. No one can fully grasp the nature of God. That's why the church and theologians, Christians, since the earliest times have debated, sometimes disagreed, wrestled to understand and put terms and words to how and who exactly God is. But the biblical and orthodox position always has been that God is one and God is known through three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Christian orthodoxy has also always held that Jesus, the Son of God, who since before the beginning was fully God, that he, Jesus, took on flesh, became like one of us and came to us, came to earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, whom Mark asserts and affirms at the beginning of his gospel and throughout was Messiah and Son of God. He came to earth, he came to us, he came to live among us, he came to be with and like us, the God-man Jesus. But our question this morning is why? Why did God come to us in Jesus? Why did Jesus come? Did he come to start a new religion? No. Did he come to fix a broken religion? No. Did he come to make possible Christmas or the Christmas industrial complex? No, no, no. But if you answer that question that he came to die for our sins, to die in our place, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to be and serve as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to simply, in a nutshell, forgive us and our sins, you get an A plus on this question. Or if you said that he came to show us the way to the Father, to show us what God is like, to correct misconceptions about God, uh, of which there have been many, or to teach people truth, you also get an A. Or if you said he came to conquer sin and death, or to defeat Satan, or to open the way to eternal life, or to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, you also may have an A. And if you said that he came to demonstrate God's grace or to exhibit compassion, the compassion of God, or to heal the sick or feed the hungry or clothe the naked or set the captives free, you also are right. But what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say was the reason that he came? And specifically in Mark's narrative account, his gospel. That's what we're going to look at this morning in just a moment. First, let's pray. As Jim prayed, God, and offered us before you uh, a few moments of silence, we ask that you would silence our hearts and our minds in our eagerness to speak. Help us to be attentive, to be good listeners to you, to your word, to your spirit, to your truth. Give us hearts that are receptive soil and have that disposition. Give us eyes to see and ears that are good to hear. 
I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they just be passed over, not even heard. We pray these things in hope and with confidence in the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so continuing this morning through our study of the Gospel of Mark, or so far our study of the first chapter of Gospel of Mark, Mark has introduced us to John the Baptist and then tells us about Jesus' baptism and then Jesus' temptation in the wilderness at the hands of Satan and then Jesus calling his first disciples, Jesus driving out a demon at the synagogue or a synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus healing people's mother-in-law and then a knock at the door that evening and hundreds and hundreds of people wanting to be healed and have demons cast out of them and Jesus eventually healing them all one by one. Probably late into the night, late into the evening, and then he woke up early while it was still dark, Mark says. The next morning to slip out for his most important activity of the day. For time with his father in prayer, which, he, which we read and talked about last Sunday morning. We pick up the gospel then at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Listen closely, this is the word of God. Mark writes, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, a secluded place, a desolate place, a lonely place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out their demons. And last Sunday morning, we talked about how important it was to Jesus and for Jesus to get up early in the morning before all of the distractions, all of the noise in Capernaum and in the neighborhood and around and in the house. We talked about how important it was to him and for him to get up before all the distractions started clamoring, making noise so that he could pray, so that he could spend time with his father, so that he could pray. Jesus had had an incredibly full 24 hours beginning with the preaching of the word in this synagogue in Capernaum that morning so powerfully that he aroused this demon who causes a fuss, who causes a ruckus, who starts screaming at everyone which Jesus then casts out. And apart from that event, and on top of that event, and as a part of that event, the people in the synagogue that morning were amazed, astonished, blown away by Jesus' teaching. And then Jesus, after synagogue, which was a synagogue service of synagogue services, retires to the home of his friend Peter for the rest of Sabbath, where they would enjoy lunch, where they would put up their feet, where they would recline and rest Shabbat only to find Peter's mother-in-law was gravely ill with a fever. And everyone's sort of saying, Jesus, it's your turn. This is what you do. This is your thing, isn't it? We hope. Jesus is never off the clock. He never is able to leave his work at the office. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, a little while later, there are hundreds of people knocking on the door wanting to be healed, have demons cast out, maybe to have their mother-in-laws cast out. We're not exactly sure what the Greek says right there. It's a little unclear. I'm kidding. Jesus healed them all. He cast out all of the demons. He loved all of the mother-in-laws, mothers-in-law. 
And it was late and he was exhausted by the time he went to bed and yet he still got up very early in the morning while it was still dark because that was the only way that he was going to get done what he needed to get done that day. That was the only, day, the only way that he would approach what his father had for him to do that day. That was the only way he would attempt it. Only after some quality time, alone time, rich time with his father. And as we discussed last Sunday morning, beginning the day in prayer was the only way that Jesus would go about being in the public eye with all of the expectations, demands, pressure from many people pressing on him, clamoring for him. That was the only way. And then Peter and some of the disciples, Simon Peter, find Jesus in this quiet place of his where he's just enjoying the peace. And they exclaim, everyone's looking for you, bro. Everyone's looking for you. Everybody wants you. What are you doing here? You need to be there. Get your stuff together. Let's go. It's going to be a huge day. People are waiting for you. Let's get on with it, Jesus. And I envision just from the economy of words that Mark has for us, Jesus sort of patient, understanding response. He doesn't berate them. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't wag his finger at them. He doesn't exhibit frustration. You're interrupting me. I'm here because I want to be here. Without you, leave me alone for a while longer. But instead, Jesus sort of relents or consents and says, all right, I'm ready. Because he was ready. Because of the way he'd spent his morning with his father. And so instead of berating them or chastising them, he gets up, gets on with it, and goes with them. And he says, let's do it. Let's head to the nearby villages. For this is the reason that I came. To preach to all of the towns and villages. This is why I have come. And while Jesus has, had shown himself to be more than a capable preacher, it was probably the healing of many and the casting out of demons that Jesus' disciples were anticipating, that the crowds were seeking, that people were coming for. Though Jesus had proven himself, shown himself, exhibited himself to be a powerful and authoritative communicator and expositor of God's word, it was probably the healing and the casting out of demons for which people were coming, what they were seeking. But Jesus says he has come to preach as far as the crowds were concerned, they were interested in, in his healing ministry. They were interested in being rid of the evil spirits, the unclean spirits, the demons that had mercilessly possessed and taunted him over the course of much of their lives for many of them. And many of us know what that is like literally or metaphorically, figuratively. The people wanted to be well physically. The people wanted to be well emotionally. The people wanted to be well psychologically. And we can understand that. We want to be well physically. We want to be well psychologically, emotionally, relationally, socially. Every one of us. Every one of us wants to be well. Beginning physically. Absolutely. And Jesus can make us well. 
He makes well Peter's mother-in-law. He's going to go on in the Gospel of Mark to heal all sorts of people of all sorts of sicknesses, maladies, illnesses, conditions in the coming chapters of Mark's Gospel, beginning with the next few verses where Jesus heals someone who's got a skin disease generally called leprosy. But Jesus says clearly here that his primary mission, the reason for which he had come was to preach. It was to preach. And there's a part of us and there must have been a part of the disciples and the people who had made it the crowds who questioned why this was so. Sure, preaching is fine. It has its place. Some preaching is actually helpful, good, powerful, encouraging, challenging, awakening, sobering, comforting, liberating, strengthening. But give me something I can hold on to, Jesus, they must have said. Make a difference in my life. Give me something that I can take home. I want to go home feeling better. I want to go home feeling healed and free. Even if the word preach didn't have some negative connotations. For example, no one likes people who are preachy. In our world. Even if the word preach didn't have some negative connotations in the English language, verse 38 still would not be anyone's favorite verse in the Bible. Except for maybe some puffed up pastor preachers who thought, look how important I am because I preach. And yet Jesus says here that it was to preach the gospel of the reign of God that he had come. It was for that reason he had come and with good reason. Jesus says this, these bodies don't last forever. And the older we get, the more keenly we become aware of this message to those who are young. You still don't get it, and it'll be a while before you do. But whether we are young or old, healthy bodies or not, it is still true. These bodies don't last forever. Since sin entered the world a long time ago, Along with it came corruption, including corruption of the physical world, including corruption of our bodies. We have all, and creation all, has participated in the fall. Our bodies will not last forever. We may wish to be well physically and healthy forever. I think all of us do. And we consider, of course, a healthy body to be the preferable way to go about this life always as long as these bodies last absolutely but these bodies will not last forever and we come to realize that at 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 and along with that we come to realize that Jesus preaching the content of Jesus preaching actually opens the door for people to a life and a relationship and a reality that will make 80, 40, 60, 20, the degradation and decline of our bodies seem less and less important as our hope begins to be placed in other things besides our physical strength or well-being. And Jesus' preaching also pertained, though, also to this life and these bodies in this fallen world. Jesus, read, uh, Jesus preached, we read back in verse 14, at the very beginning of Mark's gospel. The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, Mark says, the good news of God's reign. In Jesus, the reality of God's reign had come and was coming and would come. The good news of God's kingdom having come was that it is still coming 
on earth today and on earth as it is in heaven. It is what Jesus teached. It is what Jesus taught. It was what Jesus modeled. It is what Jesus did. And it is what Jesus offered and Jesus offers to people still today. It is a reality into which Jesus invites people by God's grace through his preaching right then and right now. Are you with me on this? And while being healed of a fever or being healed of a disease or a condition or a malady has great value. The elements of the kingdom now and later were even greater. Freedom from sin that so easily entangles. Love for one another. Mercy received and mercy given. Peace among the nations and peace among neighbors. Forgiveness, kindness, goodness, joy, and the glory of God all around us. And a right understanding of the one who superintends all of this. Jesus so wanted people to know that somehow in and through him the dominion and the empire of the good, loving, right and true God had come near and was available to all people. Turn on your TV, open a news app on your phone, and you will feel how needed this same news is desperately wanted, needed today. Today more than ever, the good news of the kingdom. And the grace of people being healed physically could either be for a person, a means through which their eyes were opened to the kingdom in their midst, or it could be a distraction from such. Being healed physically, if Jesus was to do that, focus on that in all places and have primarily a physical healing ministry. Being healed physically could either be for a person a means through which their eyes were open to the reign of God in their midst, or it could be a distraction from such. A distraction from such. And we've seen both in our lives. I have, you probably have as well. And so Jesus preached, Jesus spoke, Jesus taught, Jesus explained, Jesus unpacked truth and the reality of the good and powerful God powerfully doing good things in their midst and in their hearts. And Jesus invited people into this kingdom by changing their minds, by helping them to think differently, choose differently, be differently through repentance, metanoia, and through God's spirit. Jesus was after more than simply physical healing, rescuing, saving, making whole and well, as wonderful and good as all of these things are. He was after for people a sort of life that was characterized equally by freedom, by goodness, generosity, mercy, love, contentment, kindness, and joy in the now, in the here and now as well as in eternity. Sometimes our attention is locked in only on our relief from the present pain, discomfort, and disabilities. And while Jesus absolutely sees and cares about things, these things, he's also looking through these things and beyond them continually, what we struggle to do. 
And so he went from town to town, village to village, synagogue to synagogue, announcing the good news that was at hand and that is at hand, but that so often gets lost to us and for us in religion and in church and in tradition and in faith and politics and faith, politics using faith. And so Jesus preached, which is how most English versions of the Bible have translated that Greek word, though other translations have stuck with the more literal lexicon definitions that describe this word as to proclaim or announce or be a herald of, to proclaim or to announce or to be a herald of something. Either way, preaching, keruso in Greek, is absolutely not limited to something that happens behind pulpits in sanctuaries on Sunday mornings. In fact, some commentators insist that we understand it far more broadly than that. Mark is clear that it is not only preachers, scribes, rabbis, and messiahs who preach, not only Jesus who preached, but also in his gospel. John the Baptist preaches a cleansed leper preaches, a man out of whom a demon was exercised or excised preaches. Jesus' disciples preach. Eventually, crowds preach in Mark's gospel. Crowds proclaim, announce, and crowds are heralds of the gospel of God and his kingdom or his reality or his domain or his reign or his empire that are available now in us and around us and among us through Jesus. Which brings things to you and me. Preaching was Jesus' most important thing, at least up until his cross, after which Paul made the preaching of Christ crucify the centerpiece of his, of Paul's ministry, but in this part of Jesus' ministry, at least, preaching, not healing, not casting out demons, which Jesus did, was Jesus' mission. Preaching was Jesus' primary mission. Preaching was why he came, Jesus said. Preaching was his thing. And preaching, again, was not limited to something he did in synagogues on Sunday mornings behind a pulpit. Mark records all sorts of people preaching in his gospel. All sorts of people who had encountered Jesus who were amazed by Jesus, astonished by Jesus, moved by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, who had had encounters with Jesus, whose lives had been changed by Jesus, like us. And some of them preached spontaneously, even when Jesus told them not to. And Jesus also, on the flip side, sent out others, sent out disciples to preach, proclaim, announce, be heralds. Today we might say to share or tell or to explain or to articulate. There were both kinds of people in Mark's gospel. Those Jesus said, don't. And those Jesus said to do. Jesus never made a big deal about himself. But everyone eventually is proclaiming, announcing, heralding, preaching that Jesus is Messiah, Son of God. What about us? Are you a preacher? Have you encountered Jesus? Have you understood God's kingdom? Have you experienced God's kingdom? Have you seen glimpses of God's kingdom coming? Have you understood God's kingdom? Have you seen glimpses of it around you? We talked a couple of weeks ago about how in Mark's gospel, Jesus often tells people, especially earlier in his public ministry, not to tell people 
not to tell others about the demon that he cast out, about the man with leprosy that he healed. Don't make a big deal about it. Jesus, in all of his modesty, is wanting to keep a low profile, to not be a big public figure, at least not yet. He has so much still to do, so much still for his disciples to learn. And yet people can't be contained. They preach and tell and announce and herald. Jesus' preaching is about the kingdom in their midst. They are preaching about Jesus. Many are preaching spontaneously, instinctively. Others because they're told to. What kind of preacher are you? What kind of preacher are you? Or which sort of proclaimer or announcer or witness to the good news of the kingdom are you? How are you telling people about the now and the future kingdom and its king? The 13th century Italian friar, deacon, mystic, and preacher, Francis of Assisi, known widely as St. Francis, is credited with the following words, preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words. However, there's no reliable record of Francis actually speaking or writing those specific words, but they do capture the essence of his life, and they do reflect words that Francis actually did say and write, and they could have been words that he did say. But we know for sure that Francis wrote and said these words, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. In other words, Francis understood that the purpose of all of life was, as Psalm 24 says about the skies, is to declare the glories of God and to explain and announce and herald God's kingdom, which has come, is coming, and will come in Jesus. In a time and place when most people were already Christian but also nominally Christian, Francis walked, and Francis walking preached. He was known for coming up with creative ideas of engaging an already nominally Christian world and community. He was known for coming up with creative ways of expressing and communicating the kingdom of God in their midst. Which is sort of what we're trying to do through Trunk or Treat this Saturday evening. Engaging people in indirect ways hoping to exhibit for them a bit of the kingdom of God, which is love and generosity and kindness and other-centeredness and thoughtfulness and love in Jesus' name. For more than 30 years, this church has hosted what has usually been called a live nativity in front of the church building just before Christmas for the community to engage the community with indirectly and then hopefully directly the gospel. And we're planning a COVID version of that right now on December 19th. Put it on your calendar, not just to come, but to participate and to be a part of that. But First Presbyterian Church San Mateo was not the first congregation or community to have or host a live nativity as a way of announcing, proclaiming, preaching the good news of God's kingdom. The first to ever do that was a man named Francis in Italy in the year 1223. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Francis invited into the great churches animals and people in costumes and robes 
so that they could realize and see the earthiness of the gospel, the dirtiness of the gospel, the incarnational nature of Jesus. And all of us are preachers. All of us can and do what was most important to Jesus. What does your preaching sound like? What does your preaching look like? I know many of us, many of you, don't think of yourselves or want to think of yourselves as one who preaches or proclaims the gospel of God now or in the future. You'd say you don't know what to say. You haven't been trained. That's not your gift. It's not our calling. But like the man healed of leprosy that we'll read about next Sunday, we only need to speak of what God has done in our lives and of our experience of God's healing power and his kingdom in our midst to be preachers and proclaimers of God's grace. And that we can do, and that we can do with power, and that we can do with the Spirit's power. And with the Spirit's power have effect. That same Spirit that descended on Jesus has or can descend on us giving us power, giving us words that we might speak and proclaim God's kingdom in our midst. Preaching isn't just for pastors. As unwelcome news as that may be to some people, to some Christians, preaching isn't just for pastors. And that's great news for the world. Some much bigger churches than First Presbyterian Church San Mateo have satellite campuses nowadays. But I would suggest that we too have satellite campuses or parishes. If every one of us is able to proclaim the good news of God's available kingdom among our neighbors, then we are or we can be a church with hundreds of satellite campuses and parishes. Are you with me? especially during COVID. Ezekiel in chapter 37 preaches, preaches the scriptures say, and dry bones come alive. God doesn't just give that calling or that power to Old Testament prophets, but he offers that to us as well. And Paul, in the book of Romans, he writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they go? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are a community, Peter wrote, a kingdom of priests, and we are also a kingdom of preachers how will you preach with words with what words not with words how will you how do you preach we all have that commission if we take the gospel of mark as a whole now i want to say this and rewind a little bit if we are willing to accept an identity as people called and prompted and sent out and who spontaneously preach, proclaim, declare, announce 
God's kingdom in our midst, we would do wise and we would do well to look at and follow Jesus' example. Who before another big day of ministry and preaching, and probably also healing and casting out demons, before another big day of preaching, he insists on stopping and having alone time with his Father for prayer. We don't know what Jesus prayed. We don't know how that went or what he said. But we can imagine some things he must have prayed and things that would be good for us to pray that may not be, for many of us or most of us, a part of our regular beginning day prayer. And those might be things like, open my eyes. Show me people to whom you would have me go. Give me power. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a heart for your kingdom. Prepare me to announce boldly. Give me courage and boldness. All of these things don't typically make up my morning prayer or any prayer. But rather, I'm inclined to say, thank you, God, for this. Give me this thing that I need for me. Thank you, God, for this. Give me this thing I need for this. But what if our prayers in the morning, which some of us have been working on for the last week, what if our prayers in the morning were defined by prayers of preparation for preaching, whatever that preaching might be like? I would suggest that that might be the most appropriate prayer and maybe transformative prayer for us as we prepare to preach to which we are called in the way of Jesus because his kingdom is here. Let's pray. At the beginning of each of our day, God, Give us time, help us, nudge us to make time, whether that's moments or minutes or hours, to sit with you, being prepared by you, being filled up with you, being transformed by you, by, re, by being reoriented by you, by being filled with your spirit. Prepare us with courage, prepare us with wisdom, prepare us with gentleness, prepare us with kindness. Prepare us to be ambassadors and heralds of the greatest news that's ever been. May your kingdom come and your will be done through an army of servant preachers. May this be so in and through your church. May this be so with us. Amen.